welcome back to another episode of the Sly Hooper podcast, the second episode. Hope everybody is staying safe and still staying healthy as we continue to navigate what is just a weird and unprecedented time in the world today. Today's episode is going to be a little bit short. I just wanted to touch on something a little bit. This podcast was actually supposed to be done with uh, Evan Damarell of Forbes Sports, one of my longtime buddies and a longtime confidant on basketball Twitter, but the power in his apartment went out, and I also thought it would be better to just reschedule the pod for earlier next week just so I could give it a longer shelf life. You know, that happens. We'll, uh, res- we've rescheduled it already. We're good to go, so that is still coming It did give me a good excuse to shift to something that I wanted to talk about since, well, since this particular article that I'm going to talk about came out yesterday. And surprise, surprise, it's about the Sixers. For those of you out of the loop, new listeners, first of all, welcome. Second of all, um, I am a longtime Sixer fan. Allen Iverson was my favorite player growing up. I got grounded one time because, you know, I took a pair, multiple pairs actually, of tube socks that my mom got me. And this was like when I was eight years old. And I cut a hole in the bottom of the socks so I can have a makeshift shooting sleeve that Allen Iverson had when he was playing. Because as a kid, you're watching basketball And, you know, players normally wear sneakers, their jersey, you know, the occasional headband, maybe some armbands, some uh, finger bands. Iverson was the first player that I can remember was rocking the shooting sleeve. He was the first player rocking the shooting sleeve. I don't know if there was some player from the 90s or 80s from when I wasn't alive that I missed, but I don't remember seeing any tape of guys in the 80s or early 90s wearing shooting sleeves. Allen Iverson was the first guy wearing a shooting sleeve. And I remember as a kid, that was so cool. So when my mom bought new socks for me, I took a few pairs, cut a hole in the bottom, used it as a makeshift shooting sleeve, you know, put a rubber band at the top of the sleeve because the sock would keep falling down my arm and would, you know, scrunch up right at my wrist would slide slide the sock back up my arm and put the rubber band on and boom I was Allen Iverson went to show my mom grounded <laughs> so I've been a Sixer fan for a long time and Allen Iverson along with Space Jam stories I would hear from my dad about Magic Johnson and you know as a kid just constantly hearing about Michael Jordan and how people mythologi- mythologized Michael Jordan Those are pretty much the central reasons I became a basketball fan. The 96 draft and basically any player drafted from the late 90s that I watched growing up in the early 2000s were a big reason. And then, of course, as a nine-year-old, you're watching Allen Iverson, your favorite player, go up against Shaq in the 2001 finals. And you're just in awe of this person who... I was pretty tall, even as a nine-year-old, and Allen Iverson 
was no more than 5'10". He must have been like three inches taller than me at that point. I was I was typically tall for my age until I stopped growing in high school, which is another frustration I will vent about at a later time at another podcast. But this guy who has no more than three or four inches on me as a fifth grader is going up against Kobe, Shaq, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher, Robert Ory, and Iverson going up against Shaq. Even as a kid, I questioned Prime Shaq. I questioned if Prime Shaq was a part of the same species as us because I just couldn't comprehend how somebody could be that big, that dominant, and could actually move as well as he did. So to bring it all back to my Sixer fandom, I stuck through them through the post-Iverson years, and then of course the Andre Iguodala years with Lou Williams, Drew Holiday, Thaddeus Young, Jody Meeks, Spencer Hawes, (laughs) and then drafting Evan Turner in 2012. And then of course the infamous process, which I was for, even though at times, as a fan, and me personally, with how I watch my favorite teams with the intensity that I do, it was it was hard to stick through at times, but I watched it. I, wa- I watched a lot of bad basketball, and I knew I was for the big picture the whole time, and... That leads us to the topic for today's show, which is Ben Simmons. And most of you listening already know that Ben Simmons is, well, one, he plays for my favorite team, the 76ers. He was also a number one draft pick in 2016. And he has become one of the most polarizing players of already the last decade or so. We all know his bugaboo, which is the jump shot. Um, it's been a hot stove topic for three years now since he's been playing in the league. Remember his rookie year, he was out with a broken foot and we're three years in now and we're still waiting for Ben Simmons to take threes consistently in a game, not just make them, not just miss them, but even attempt to look at the rim when shooting threes. Now, there are two sides to this, obviously, as there is with every debate, unless there's like, unless you're abstaining or something like that. But I've always been of the mindset with Ben Simmons that he is a franchise player. He is somebody you absolutely look at and you're like, if I could build a team around this guy, I can win a certain number of games I can get to the playoffs every year, and if everything breaks right and I can build the actual good, perfect team around him that'll perfectly complement his skill set, you might be able to make the NBA Finals if things break right for him. We all know he's good at everything except for the jump shot, and that's what, if you're somebody like Ben Dietrich, the host of Cookies Hoops, a great basketball podcast that I love, He is of the mindset that Ben Simmons doesn't need a jump shot in order for the Sixers to eventually become champions. He doesn't think he needs to shoot. He's of the mindset that bad shooters 
shouldn't shoot, which is fair. I get where he's coming from. And I also get where the people who are frustrated that Simmons has yet to even look at the rim when taking threes this season. He only shot two of six this year, and four of those were two of those were real three-point attempts that actually went in. The rest were heaves. And every other three-point attempt in Ben Simmons' career before this season were heaves, half-court heaves, full-court shots. So really, he didn't start taking a real NBA three-pointer in a game until this year. And he only took two. So that's how bad of a shooter Simmons is. Or it perfectly describes his lack of willingness to even attempt a shot. So there is frustration at this point that your franchise point guard, who is a primary ball handler in a modern NBA where guards do so many things off the dribble scoring-wise, we here we have a point guard who refuses to shoot and is cramping the spacing. Now, the cramping of the spacing is a little bit overblown in the sense that the Sixers also signed Tobias Harris and Al Horford to power forwards, but... Ben Simmons not attempting, still continuing at an, this is, it's getting absurd at this point, but him not attempting a healthy amount of jump shots per game at this point in his career is still absurd to me. But I also get the people like Ben Dietrich who are saying, look, everybody is railing this guy for not shooting the basketball. Meanwhile, he's an elite passer. He's an elite rebounder. He is big. He is probably one of if not the fastest player in the NBA. He had a th- he had a full court sprint time that was faster than John Wall in the NBA Combine. I forgot where I saw the numbers, but I forgot who uh, tweeted it. So sorry if I didn't give you the proper credit. I just can't remember your name right now, but Ben Simmons is big, fast, an elite passer, uh, an elite rebounder, still an efficient score by the way he's at he averaged 17 almost 17 points a game this year on shooting nothing but layups and dunks which is the most efficient shot in basketball he's a world-class defender can legitimately defend one through five well one through five depending on which team the Sixers would be facing that night but for sure one through four and he was playing defense at a first team all NBA level this year Ben Simmons is a fantastic player. He's a top 15 player. To me, he's a top 15 player. If you don't have Ben Simmons in the top 20, I honestly think you're doing yourself a disservice and been a disservice by not putting him in there because he does everything else so well. He just does this one thing that has been entrenched in basketball for a century. So naturally, the older basketball fans, older media, um media that is kind of past the threshold of them being a millennial. I get that they're railing this guy because we haven't seen a player like Ben Simmons. He's basically an elite transition player, and in the half court, he is a roving big man who posts up from time to time but is in the dunker spot, which is weird because the Sixers are playing him at point guard. So I say all of this to go back to an article Jackie McMullen of ESPN 
posted yesterday. She did a deep dive report on Ben Simmons. It was more of a long form piece than reporting. There were reporter there were reporting nuggets in there that I found interesting. And it talked about Ben Simmons and his jump shot because usually in the media, Ben Simmons is of the LeBron school media training. He won't give in-depth answers. He'll give you the same standard, quote-unquote, professional athlete, politically correct answer. Rare time. There are a few times. Well, he'll do it from time to time, but there are a few times where he'll break and he'll show his emotions and, um, you know, clap back or get a little bit snippy with the reporter if he doesn't like what he hears, like all players do, et cetera, et cetera. But Ben Simmons is typically, J.J. Redick, former Sixer, described Ben Simmons as somebody who looks like he's staring in a glass mirror the entire time when he plays. Um, he's stoic, keeps to himself. But we got a little bit more of an in-depth look at how Simmons' mind ticks and look as much as people like to preemptively say I'm not an armchair psychologist and then immediately try to play armchair psychologist after that, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to glean off what I took away from this story. And one, it is refreshing to now know that Simmons in some way has acknowledged that it is a mental thing with him. And it's one of those things where he doesn't want to shoot it because, one, he knows that it's not the most efficient shot for the team when it comes to the ultimate objective in his mind, which is winning basketball games. And two, as he said in Jackie's article, he said, yeah, I could be a 30% three-point shooter. Actually, I'm going to... I'm going to find the uh, quote here. So, um, he said, with threes, it's never been like that. It's got, I've got to make it a point of emphasis. I could be one of those guys shooting 30% right now, but I'd rather be one of those guys shooting 40. When it comes to Ben Simmons, I've been more of a sympathizer than one of those people or one of those Sixer fans that wants to trade Simmons or one of those national talking heads that keeps repeating the same old played out and not true narrative that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can't play together. And yes, I use the word narrative because it is a narrative because numbers show that Ben and Joe are actually outscoring teams by themselves when they play together. But I've always been of the mindset that Ben Simmons needs a jump shot. Ben Simmons is also an all-star player, an elite talent, an elite defender, all the other superlatives you want to use about Ben Simmons. But I am tired of using those superlatives to basically hedge myself when I go to criticize him. And I do think it's ridiculous at this point that he hasn't taken a jump shot. But I have also have been sympathizing with him this whole time, and this article has made me sympathize with him even more because he is basically admitting now that it's a psychological thing there's an antidote in the story at the beginning where uh jackie talks about a story in 1996 or no not 1996 that was when simmons was born but when simmons was 
five, he was already adept at basketball enough to play with eight-year-old kids, kids basically three years older than him. Um, he was adept at dribbling the basketball, guard skills, and then when it was time to actually you know, play in a kid's league, Simmons went back to his mom and said he didn't want to play, and they tried to nudge him to play, and he didn't want to play. He just he wasn't he didn't show any visible signs of being uncomfortable or anything he just didn't want to play and it seems like Simmons stoic nature well obviously it came from the beginning like here in another quote Ben's father David Simmons said that when Ben was born he didn't cry at all and he said that this child has been here before he was basically like the J.J. Reddick quote I mentioned earlier, he's basically just staring in a glass mirror. Like, he's experienced all this before. And you could sympathize with him in so many ways because he also talks about how... He also talks about how he needs people to hold him accountable so he can be accountable. And I know on the surface, that quote looks bad if you're a professional athlete making millions of dollars. But a lot of those people do exist. There are people who need to be nudged to be held accountable. And either those people who get nudged, they either allow themselves to embrace what they're being nudged into or walk away what they're being nudged into. Because whenever people say like, I need somebody to hold myself accountable, it automatically comes with this bad connotation. Like, Oh, how hard does this guy work? He, he's not self-motivating himself. Like, well, how can you, uh, how can you trust a guy with your franchise? If you need to be motivated by somebody else, well, no, look, there are people like that who need to be motivated by other people to achieve their best self. And there are people who are willing to go that far with that person who is motivating them or trying to hold that person who wants to further better themselves accountable. There are ways the people can reach the top without being this maniacal Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan competitive I want to kill you I'm driving myself to be better 24 7 even if it kills me mentality like a lot of people don't have that and I think that's what this article gleaned over really well is that yes there's questions about Ben Simmons work ethic even though he always documents when he's working and all that stuff we know he could shoot the jump shot we've seen a bunch of videos of him shooting jump shots, not in an NBA game, but because he's not ready to show it. And I could sympathize with that because there are times when I'm working on stuff and my channel is a good example of that over the last eight months is that you're working on stuff, you don't like it, you want to perfect it, and then eventually you become an enemy of your own self and you don't want to show it. And then it also talked in depth about how Ben internalizes all this criticism and chatter about him and how he basically reflects it or deflects it because he doesn't get phased at all especially when you watch in games he doesn't get phased at all if you watch a good amount of Sixer games you'll notice that 
the Morris brothers, Markeith and Marcus Morris, they'll try to fight Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid every time they play the Sixers, no matter what team they're on. And every and every time there is a scuffle and Marcus or Markeith Morris get in Ben's face, they kind of, mainly Marcus Morris, um, but every time one of the Morris twins gets in Ben's face or James Johnson a few years ago um, in the first playoff run of the Simmons and Bede era, he just stands there with this stone-cold, stoic face just staring at you like, really, dude? Like, he just has a different personality. But it's interesting to see how his mind actually ticks because it turns out he's just as insecure as a lot of us are. And I found that really humanizing. Especially when the article gets to quotes from Ben's brother, Ben's parents... And basically how everybody in Ben's circle is trying to get him to shoot threes. Even his coach, his old coaches are trying to get him to shoot threes. Ben's old high school coach was quoted in this article saying that if I were Brett, head coach Brett Brown, I would threaten to bench Ben if he didn't shoot two or three jump shots per half. There is a lot of interesting stuff in here. One of the underrated anecdotes in this article, I think, was that Ben also saw a sports psychologist because of it. And look, as someone, and again, as somebody who also gets the thought process of not wanting to do something unless you're completely sure of yourself, I get it. But when you're a basketball player who's getting, who just signed a max extension, who just got handed basically, well, he was already handed the keys of the franchise, but after Jimmy Butler basically took over the ball handling duties in the playoffs last year and Ben was relegated to the dunker spot, but this max contract extension this past summer and Jimmy Butler being sent to Miami in that four team trade signified, hey, we are ready for you to take over this franchise. And for him to still not be shooting jump shots at this point in his career as still as inefficient as it might be, and defenses are still going to back off of Ben Simmons, regardless if he ever starts shooting threes or not, at a, even at a 30% clip. At the same time, this thought process, when you're getting paid millions of dollars, you're going to get scrutinized for it. And Sixer fans can see two great talents right in front of them, two great players, Joel Embiid, top 10 to 12 player. Ben Simmons, top 15 to top 20 player, depending on where you have him. But one of them is a jump shot away from being one of the greatest players in NBA history. He's a great player already. I want to reiterate that. I shouldn't have to reiterate this every time because rational people can see that Ben Simmons is a great basketball player. He could be one of the all-time greats if he would just attempt a few more jump shots a game. I don't think he's ever going to be this knockdown shooter. But with his driving ability, his ability to find players with his passing, his athleticism, if the defense can even come up just a step further than what they normally were used to doing when guarding Ben Simmons, that's all he needs. And the Sixers will be on the doorstep of Potentially multiple championships, led by these two megastar talents. But, if Ben doesn't develop the jump shot, you need a smart front office to put the right players 
around your two best players. Not only around your two best players, but also grow with your best players. And that's where the real problem comes into me. Sixers ownership. Yes, Ben Simmons not developing a jump shot is frustrating at this point. But it's also frustrating because his jump shot is really the skeleton key that foolproof, full idiot proofs everything that the Sixers organization has been doing. Ever since Sam Hinkie resigned four years ago this month, the Sixers organization, whether it was led by Brian Colangelo, who was brought on by Jerry Colangelo because of nepotism, even though the Sixers claim they did a thorough search of the next general manager then. Yeah, sure. Then, of course, after the whole burner account scandal, the Sixers ownership group somehow still decided it was great, it'd be a great idea if they kept 90% of the failed regime not allow any GM candidates to build their own staff. And then once they realized nobody was going to agree to this ridiculous compromise, they hired Elton Brand as the general manager, who prior to this job, his only experience as a front office executive was being the general manager of the Delaware Bluecoats, who were back then known as the 87ers, which is the Sixers G League affiliate team. And Elton Brand has also made a calamity of bad moves ever since Sam Hinkie resigned. And I wrote about it on hashtag basketball when it happened. I was scared that we were going to have more years of mediocrity. And if we didn't have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, we would be a mediocre team. If the Sixers didn't have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, the Sixers ownership group would be talked about would be talked about more as one of the worst ownership groups in basketball. Just point blank. Look at all the moves they did going all the way back to Doug Collins and Rod Thorne and still even back then doing the old playbook of not wanting to have a face to hold not wanting to have a face for the public to hold accountable and not deciding who's in charge, who's going to lead. Oh, it's all about collaboration. Collaboration's great. But you got to have somebody who is going to make the final decision and you got to have a face for that final decision because we're all grown-ups and if you make decisions, they come with consequences. And that's tenfold when you're operating a multi-billion dollar franchise as a general manager or as an ownership group. You got to hire a general manager that is also willing to be held accountable. You got to be held accountable. And I say all that to come back to this about Ben Simmons' jump shot and the source of Sixers' frustration, particularly the source of Sixers' frustration, because I think the national media, they love the Sixers. They like to talk about the Sixers. And the reason I hate all the most of the takes that come from the national media about the Sixers is mainly, well, one, it's my fault. I'm a fan, of course. Also, two, a lot of them have 
terrible takes from the process years about tanking and how the Sixers were a disgrace and how fans weren't going to come back that they still hold to this day and still won't admit that they're wrong about the process and the process working, which it worked. But I mainly want to come back to the source of frustration for, from my point of view, because again, I don't live in Philadelphia. I've lived in California my whole life as a West Coast Sixer fan. But this is just what I get off Sixers Reddit, Sixers Twitter. We see all the ineptitude that goes on in ownership, general manager. Some will say, especially this year, Brett Brown, even though I disagree, I think Brett Brown is a good coach, although he has had a pretty, by my standard, he's had a pretty uh, C year. I'll give him a C or a C minus. You could argue it'd be a, It'd be a D plus or something, but I think there's a lot more problems with this team that go beyond Brett Brown. But the key to deflect all of this, the bad ownership group, the bad decisions, the bad little decisions that Brian Colangelo made over his time in Philadelphia that led up to this disaster of a roster that we see now even with two great players still on it the Sixers are a 50 win team if Ben Simmons developed a jump shot the bad roster fit with two power forwards in the starting lineup wouldn't matter the bad ownership group wouldn't matter you could put the worst coach out there on the court it would hardly matter you can Give me the worst version of Elton Brand. It wouldn't matter. If Ben Simmons developed a jump shot, him and Joel Embiid would win multiple championships together. And that's what great players are. They win regardless of the circumstances around them. You can make it easier by being a well-ran franchise, by having a good coaching staff, by having a competent at a baseline level, a competent general manager. But if the Bulls documentary, if what LeBron, if what Tim Duncan, no, not Tim Duncan. Spurs had good ownership group for the majority of Tim Duncan's career. Although I am catching on to Bill Simmons thing that he's been doing the last few years of everybody still praising the Spurs when it may be two or three years too late and two years two or three years too old because the Spurs have actually if you look at their track record the last few years it's been kind of dicey but if you look at guys like MJ LeBron and other great players who have won despite bad ownership groups it's because they were great players and they got better they got better at their game Ben Simmons has gotten better, but every year he has gotten better. I have always, I have always in the back of my mind have said like, the leap should be bigger. Like I know he works on his game, but the leap should be bigger with his skill set. But also there are a lot of other factors that go into it. With this article, I might've become a bigger Ben Simmons fan than I already was. I was a big I was a big fan of him at LSU because during those process years I watched 
a lot, and I mean a lot, of college basketball so I could see, you know, who would be the next lottery pick for us, who could we, you know, trade up for, who can we pick in the second round, is there people who can go undrafted that we could possibly get? I was a big Ben Simmons guy at LSU, in the same way that I was a big Markel Fultz fan uh, when he was at the University of Washington. I have stuck with Ben Simmons through and through. He's a great player, but I also want him to develop a jump shot. He says it's going to come based on the patterns that are in this story and how it kind of chronicles a little bit of his life. And you could see the similar patterns as to why he's not shooting a jump shot now. Look at his rookie year. He shot more jump shots his rookie year, shot less his second year, and then his third year this year, he's shot none, but was still having a career year. But now I sympathize with him more than ever. And I just hope to God that over the next few years, the Sixers don't do anything stupid like trading one of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. That would be the dumbest thing anybody could do especially when they have neglected to build a proper roster around this team for two and a half years. That first Sixers team, you could argue, was their best-fitting team. Now, the Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons, and Bede starting lineup last year heading into the playoffs, that had the highest ceiling. They didn't really gel together at that point, but they still had a ridiculous offensive rating of like 122 or something like that when all five of them were playing together. But the roster has constantly changed around him. Poor ownership group. Poor general manager and front office. Most of it's from a failed regime, and yet the Sixers are still churning out 50 wins a year. And they were on pace for 50 wins this year, ever since Simmons and Embiid have gotten together. That's it for today. You should actually go read Jackie McMullen's article on Ben Simmons. Maybe it might change your mind if you were somebody who didn't like Ben Simmons before or you were somebody who wouldn't give him credit because he couldn't shoot or do that one thing that has been known throughout basketball since the beginning of time. Hopefully it'll change your mind. Hopefully it'll give you a new perspective. He's just normal like all of us. I'm personally glad that an article like this dropped during a time like this because we got to get a look at the human side of somebody who typically doesn't show any any emotions on the court or off the court unless he's, you know, in his element, like playing video games and streaming on Twitch or something like that. And because of that, we got to know him a little bit more and we got to get a nice peek behind the curtain about why the jump shot thing is still a thing, which I also appreciate. But like, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Sly Hooper. Follow me on social media, at Sly Hooper X, both on Twitter and Instagram. And stay tuned for next week. We will have Evan Damarell of Forbes Sports on, and we will basically just be talking about life how much we miss the NBA, and maybe a little bit of a ranking list of our top favorite animes. So you want to stay tuned for that. Anyway, have a good weekend. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.